Hey there, film fans. I am Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John. And welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. Jeez. That's right. And to avoid any lazy negativity, we are making this a drinking game. <laughs> drinking game. Any negative criticism about a film is obviously allowed. And given our episode lineup, it's definitely going to fucking happen. <laughs> but that's not good enough for us. We want to keep it positive, people. So anytime we say something negative or let's go ahead and say stupid about a film, you are going to hear this sound. Woo! That means that we need to take a drink and we hope that anybody watching at home on Twitch or listening to us in the future on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you found your podcasts, please drink along with us. So pour <laughs> yourselves a glass and uh, join us and give us up for the films we love. And as Jeff mentioned, a film that might need some love there at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, might, I, I mean, might, I'm pretty, pretty sure, spoiler love. alert, Jeff might come down on the end of the bad side of this one. <gasps> Yeah. <laughs> I, had already, I had already seen this movie before. I fell asleep during it, but I technically saw it and somehow yeah, you, you sat in to... front of it. You did. And not you only that, not only do we not only did I see it and then we have to watch it again. We had to fucking pay for it again. This is the only movie this week. God damn it. Buzz during the intro. Nice. We should also uh, let nice. everybody know that there are, we're definitely going to use some explicit content, especially about an hour in. We're going to use some <laughs> explicit content. Um, I think that's enough of a setup, John. Shout outs. Shout outs. All right, as always, we're going to give it up for our beer sponsor. We miss that man. He is making some delicious home brews in Queens, New York. You can follow him on Instagram at cbarozzo bar 2019. That is C B A R R O Z O B A R 2019. His name is Carlos Barozzo. And as always, the music you hear on this episode and every episode is provided by the artist Dasein. That's Dasein, D A S E I N. You can find all the music available for free downloads at soundcloud.com forward slash Dasein dash artist. Jesus. Wow, take a breath. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Carlos beers, man. Cannot wait to get them. I got an SUV mm. just to stock up on. They Carlos really are delicious. Fucking get find Give find it. that handle. Message him. He yeah. will talk to you about beer. He's getting certified. I think he just passed one of his first stages of getting that certification to become basically like the sommelier for beer. Yeah, he's like that's, getting that's getting an Australian. Into it. He's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he's we, getting we there, need, dude. He's going to be by the next time we see him when this Australia fucking pandemic is over, dude. He is going <laughs> okay. to give us even better brews. He's going to talk to us about. It. I'm so excited. Anyway, next time we watch a movie like Noah, we should have him on to recommend what beers would be like the best beers to watch for some. Oh, that's time. actually a good idea. Pairing yeah. some brews. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're throwing our ideas. We're printing our first drafts, as I like to say here on the podcast. <laughs> All right, people, we're going to be talking about films from the year 2014. Now, some of you may be noticing one film on our list that is in our episode title, and you may be saying, Whoops. "Did that come out in the year 2014?" And the answer is, technically, it did. Technically, technically. <laughs> Technically, it premiered at at least one festival in 2014, and yeah. we had a tricky time, tricky time finding streamable movies this option, which is why we had to rent Noah. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so we included it in this Do list. I buzz you for the pause? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but you shouldn't complain because it's an awesome movie. And actually, it, it pairs really well with our second movie, Nightcrawler, really well. So... Before we get into films of the year 2014 plus, uh, let's do a quick round of news. What you've been watching and anything else you want to share before we get into it. Dave. Oh, oh, it's a it's a sad news day today. 
Uh, we lost uh, David Prowse this morning, the the uh, the man who was inside the suit in Darth Vader. Right. Oh, yeah. that sucks. I didn't it's, know that. Uh, yeah, fuck. Yes, and uh, on in happier news, it's also the end of the moratorium on uh, Disney not being able to use the Daredevil character with the Netflix licensing. And there is a oh. massive campaign at the moment on uh, Twitter. Feel free to join it. Uh, hashtag Save Daredevil. They're trying to get uh, the main characters back for a an actual MCU version. Wow. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. I mean, give, give me Vincent, Vincent D'Onofrio as uh, Kingpin. There's no substitute. No substitute mm-hmm. at all. Fuck. Wow. Mm. Nice. Yeah. No, I thought he was fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. All right. Anything else, um, Dave? Anything? Uh, that's, that's all. I, I had a big movie week. Um, I watched, uh, I, I rewatched The Matrix um, mm. while I was looking through uh, HBO. Is that, I noticed. Is that uh, fourth one still supposed to come out? It is. They're the still spring? shooting. Yeah, yeah, they're the, still shooting. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I re- I was going through HBO and I found the uh, the movie Prophecy. Um, and it's an old oh. uh, old angel battle film with Christopher Walken in it. And uh, then I looked and it was like part of a collection. I'm like, wait a minute, they made like five of these. So the whole collection's on HBO. The the first one is great. I haven't got to the second one yet, so I can't vouch for that. Wait, Chris Christopher um, Walken is an angel. He's the angel Gabriel. Yes. God <laughs> hey. damn it. Ow! Yeah, the, Jesus! Yeah. Ow! If that doesn't explain 2020, nothing does. So, <laughs> and then I watched uh, as well. I, I, then I, I went through. Went through oh, okay, stop it. I went through. Uh, <laughs> I went through Austin Powers, uh, the first one, and I watched about a quarter of Goldmember before I couldn't fucking take it anymore. Man, Jeff's you, favorite. Jeff's favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite, but it, I it's fun, man. I, whatever. We mm. already talked about Austin Powers. Go go back in our in our feed. We talk about Austin Powers. It's great. Yeah. Um, so much awesome. fun. John, what do, you, what do you say? I'm sure a lot of listeners and watchers have been reading about that fucking monolith they found in Utah that was pretty cool. <laughs> yes. That happened this week. Give it up for uh, 2001. Suddenly gone um, again. Yeah. My favorite news this week, I uh, was texting these guys about it a little bit earlier. Um, Netflix is signed up with Mr. David motherfucking Lynch yeah. for him to do another series. Apparently it's rumored it's got an $85 million budget. Possibly for either twenty-five one longer, uh, one hour-long episodes, or anything between like thirteen and twenty-five mini movies that could be like an hour nice. and a half long. And with Who with the Lynch equation, Wisteria, um, about a, a million, yeah, called? about a million dollars works out to one percent of shit you just won't understand. So you got about a fifteen percent chance of understanding what this is about. Mm-hmm. It's gonna <laughs> be a beautiful <laughs> misunderstanding. Of this guy, I mean, yeah. God, he's getting so old too. He's just. I am so, so so thankful he still has this ambition, but I mean, what the mm. fuck could this possibly be about? Like, who knows? So I'm really excited for that. I uh, I didn't watch any extra movies. I have been reading The Historian, which is a pretty cool book about vampires, and mm. I've been watching more West Wing, and then I crushed these movies, and we'll nice. talk some shit about the last one. I was okay, <laughs> I resisted right. the last movie for so long. Amazing. Um, I finished The Crown at the beginning of the week, way back when. Oh, yeah. I, I just lied Good straight shit. to your face. I watched all of The Crown in like a night, and I forgot. Good, right? <laughs> that's, how, that's how easily. Give me, give me, a, give me a Good one or, or two, one or two sentence review. Uh, I think it's wonderful. I think you mentioned last week that you thought it might be the best. I'll say this about this season. I felt about this season as I did about season two, which is if anyone who watches that show, the 
actor playing the queen. For some reason in the second season, I feel like they chill out on trying to shove this version of who they are down your face and they really relax with the yeah. uh, environmental situations that are happening to them, which heighten what's happening to them personally. So just how I felt about Claire Foy in season two, I think I loved this one for the this age even more than last season. Yeah, they were writing to her strengths too. The, the queen is not that funny in real life. And <laughs> she is unbelievable. Bow down yeah, before Olivia Coleman, dude. She is fucking unreal. She did in this it, one. quote unquote, in character, if you will. But like, there is something Billy Joel and like all this stupid shit that probably just is just not realistic. She did an impression at some point. Anyway, we can't talk about the crowd. Yeah, the crowd's yeah. fun. I'm with you. So I finished that, and then um, I'm I'm starting the Queen's Gambit tonight. I'm definitely starting the Queen's Gambit tonight. Um, Family came for Halloween, for Thanksgiving, and we wanted a Thanksgiving movie. I believe we looked it up, and there was really only one. So we watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Thanksgiving, that night. is a Thanksgiving movie. If there was ever one, I'd never seen it, and and I, every single time I see a John Hughes movie I haven't seen before, Hughes, I sit right? there and I go, I need to stop everything I'm doing until I've seen them all. Like, why haven't I seen Uncle yeah. Buck? Why haven't I seen Weird Science? Just do it. I just do it. And I haven't done them all, but it's on my list. We're gonna rewatch some soon. Some John, some early '90s John Hughes, wink, wink. Some holiday movies coming up soon, for sure on the pod. Um, let's keep it. Let's keep it moving. Hmm. Let's do it. Films, 2014. It, yes. Ex Machina is obviously the best movie from 2014. Like everybody can say, that's why the Oscars of 2016 Whoops. were like, we need to keep talking about this movie. Um, so yeah. 2014, number one movie at the box office is kind of a bummer. Does anybody know what it was? Did anybody catch it? You sent it. To you guys look it up. No, I, I did. I purposefully did not include the highest grossing films. Anyway, I'll spoil the fun. 2014, the highest grossing film is Transformers: Age of Extinction. What? Oh yeah, that, God, that makes dude. sense. I mean, I mean, yeah. all the Transformer movies made so much money, quick, especially overseas. Quick, but quick little tidbit about that: I went and saw that in the theaters, and I do not remember the storyline i remember consciously thinking about halfway through i have no idea what's happening has anybody <laughs> ever seen that movie you have no idea what is going on for the last half of it keep going i remember going um, and seeing the first one and i had no idea what was happening or what optimus prime was saying it was it was yeah same unintelligible. It, was, it was shia labeouf can't not play jewish and megan fox is a nice butt that was the first movie let me take a sounds, guess at number two sounds chauvinistic but that is what it was let Go me ahead. take a guess at the second grossing big hero six no, that's actually number 11, dude. This Whoa, is a crazy time off. in movies. Hobbit Battle of the Five Armies, $956 oh, million. Yeah, that's a, a good one, too. That's probably the and best then, Hobbit come movie. on, number three, Dave, number three. I, I believe, I'm going to go ahead and say one of Dave's favorite movies of all time, even though I have no basis on that. Guardians of the Galaxy, what? number three. I was going to say, what, oh, what Marvel movie came out that year? That's in, yeah. My, yeah, that's in my top 10. Scott Pilgrim's there my favorite go. movie of all it. time. There you go. Mm, and then right, Maleficent right. comes in at number four. You got Hunger Games nice. mocking Jay part one, which is really where you were like, damn it, that book should not have been split up into two movies. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she. <laughs> yeah, like all the hobbits. Look, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence is good. Nobody can say that she's not. She she did not even try to pretend to like PETA. Like, like not one second do you ever think she actually no. cares about PETA. And the whole point of that movie is that she's the only one who's supposed to be obsessed with PETA, and it tanks the whole movie for me. Okay. Um, X-Men Days of Future Past. It's pretty fun. Mm, that's um, a good one. Better yeah, on the rewatch. That, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Captain mm. America Winter Soldier. I agree. Uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Lego movie? Where's that? 
Where's Lego Movie? That not in the top ten. Amazing Spider-Man nope. two. Whoa. Again, we've we've talked about this in the pod. Amazing Spider-Man two, seven hundred eight million dollars worldwide, and they still could not get a trilogy out of these people. What were they arguing about? Just make one more. Just do it. God, I, it was so ridiculous. Andrew Garfield's Come on, like, Andrew. I'm walking. Seven hundred eight million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Just do it. Make one more. Make your twenty million and get out of there. Interstellar comes in at number ten, six hundred. $77 million. And then we'll throw in Big Hero 6 at number 11, which is $657 million worldwide, which becomes the highest grossing animated film of the year, but did not compete with Frozen, which I believe came out the year before. Okay, so that's the top mm. 10. The Oscar season, actually, um, this year and the next year, we're Oscar so white. So we're going to talk about socially responsible movies in our next podcast. We are definitely going to do that. It is not because this year was Oscar so white, but we definitely looked at what's available next week and we made that choice knowing who we are. But I, I'm, I'm prefacing that because other than that, the Oscars did represent a lot of good movies. They just didn't represent, you know, specifically actors. Yeah. Specifically <laughs> actors of color, for sure. Um, yeah. So the big winner was Birdman. Birdman won a bunch of Oscars, including Best Director, Amazing. Best Screenplay, Best Picture. That's Inuritsu's first of oh, two. Good. He'll win in 2015 for The Revenant. Um, you have uh, Whiplash. And Chivo won back-to-back, this, to back, didn't And Chivo well. won back-to-back-to-back, because he won for Gravity the year before this. The three-peat for Chivo. That's an all-timer run right there, yeah. Um, huh. Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel, $170 million worldwide on probably a $0 budget and a bunch of Legos. And then uh, it wins four Oscars out of nine nominations. <laughs> <laughs> you have Whiplash. I, I don't know if you heard me a second ago. But Whiplash is a fun movie that wins Best Film Editing and J.K. Simmons. You have Boyhood, which was a fun little movie. Um, and mm-hmm. then that definitely wins Best uh, Supporting Actress. I actually, for actually got in a conversation with the actor from that at uh, West Palm Beach Film Festival one year. I was standing there just shooting the, the shit. Yeah, the and uh, yeah, and yeah. and uh, I had no idea who he was. And someone was like, "Oh, do you know who that was?" And they told me, "I'm like, oh man, I just I was just standing there shooting the shit, talking stupid stuff." Yeah, yeah. He didn't talk about the movie at all. No, did good. not bring That's the movie up good. once. <laughs> well, he he didn't want to be an actor, but I, I wonder if he realized at the time it's like wherever you are in life, we're gonna make it work for this movie. And it's like that's a that's that's definitely something that a younger person can't understand. And when you see it later, I wonder if you appreciate that. I'm really happy that that footage of me doesn't exist in certain ages, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. I will keep a truck in here. The theory of everything was definitely awesome, and I I, I mm. love the movie. John obviously loves the score, as do I. Um, mm. And I liked Eddie Redmayne a lot. I think he had a good back to back with this in the Danish Girl. We're gonna skip over <laughs> Jupiter Ascending. That was good. Um, you have American American Sniper was Everyone another big did. movie that that did not quite make the time. <laughs> Dave, Dave, what'd you say? I missed it. What would you fucking? What'd you say? Everyone, said, else everyone else did. Yeah. Oh come on. Yeah. Here. Uh, American Sniper, Bradley Cooper, Clint Eastwood, <laughs> really fired up the Trump base here before Trump. Okay, you have Imitation Game, another fun movie. <laughs> And then uh, Selma also gets the best picture nod, but they do not give David Oyelowo oh. or anybody else any nods. Uh, another other standout movies you have: Interstellar, Foxcatcher, Gone Girl, Wild, Reese Witherspoon, Inherent Vice. I need to see that movie ten more times, and I, I just don't feel like putting in the time. I'm just not going to do it. Sorry, Paul. Just do it, do it. Just watch it one more time. <laughs> I'm telling you, it was it was way more fun on the rewatch. You don't have to watch Cit- it three or four. Citizen Four, good documentary. You've got Chef. You've got Fury. You've got John Wick. You got Mr. Turner. Oh, yeah. It was a weird movie, but John and I certainly had some fun with Mr. Turner. Oh, God. oh so those sound effects he made. And then, of course, <laughs> of course, people, the interview, which 
sunk the world into an international fucking hacking scheme that outed Sony for being sexist. Do you remember when we watched it, you guys? Do you remember the three of us watched it? I actually don't, because it was a huge snowstorm. We watched it on 420, dude. We were, like, stuck in our apartment for some reason. It was a snowstorm. Wasn't there a blizzard? Yeah. It was a snowstorm? Oh, okay. It was a blizzard in January. We were able to find it, and I don't remember a single thing. I laughed very hard. There was a lot of laughing going on. I just remember the... Katy Perry song, the fire, that slow motion sequence at the end. with That was awesome. That was, with that was, Kim that was I just I just remember yeah. for some reason needing to go to bed. And I, I don't think I've ever seen the end of that film. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lego movie, right. Lego movie, Robocop, Pompeii. Sorry, Kit Harrington, Edge of Tomorrow, Hercules starring Dwayne Johnson, Lucy, The Giver, Taken 3, Annie, Big Eyes. Any other movies that you guys want to shout out? Did you leave no. any? all right people let's move into it so we're going to talk about ex machina first so as we said at the beginning this kind of came out in america in 2015 i didn't see it when it came out but then amazon bought it and put it on prime very early for me this is probably my first prime movie that i watched 2015 um movie's fucking awesome so the imdb description of what this movie is is a young programmer is selected to participate in a groundbreaking experiment in synthetic intelligence by evaluating the human qualities <laughs> of a highly advanced humanoid AI. It's directed and written by Alex show. Garland, who is a big-time writer who wrote The Beach, the novel, and then he started doing a lot of sci-fi work. It stars basically just three people, and then, well, I guess four. Oscar Isaac, Domhnall Gleeson... Alicia Vikander and Sonoya Mizuno. There is a longer description, which is Caleb. You know, it, wasn't, it wasn't until this rewatch that I realized that that was bloody Bill Weasley, Bill Weasley in this. Oh yeah, it, yeah, bro. I ne- never put it together. <laughs> yeah, this really? is he. He had a huge year the next year, where you have Brooklyn and Star Wars yep. and some other shit. Like he he had a big time as did Oscar Isaac and Alicia Vikander obviously would win an Oscar for Danish Girl next year. Um, Caleb, who's Dom Nugleason, 26-year-old programmer and coder at the world's largest internet company. It's Google. They, they don't say it's Google, but it's, ba- it's Google that owns 94% of the world's search engine results. It's, it's basically like Google. It would be like if you meet the CEO of Google at their house in the middle of nowhere, and then the wait, house- wait, wait, wait. Can you say Google again? Get the fuck out of here. And the house becomes um, a, a, a test. Where's your other hand, just John? a couple of them in the house. And they're, they're basically testing him to see if this AI robot he created, who's Alicia Vikander, um, is, is human enough. Like, like, has the AI advanced enough where the robot can pass for having a consciousness and therefore have human qualities? So that's what the movie's about. Anybody, mm. obviously, we've seen it before because it's awesome. Anybody want to go? Let's, anybody want to take the reins from there? Dave and I saw this together yeah. on a whim. We mm. went down to the theater and we were just like going to see a movie, you know. And I feel like I like looked this one up and I was like, "This one looks cool, dude." I hadn't really heard too much about it, in spite of this coming out in 2014 across the pond in London. Um, I really hadn't read anything amazing about it. I just knew that Alex Garland wrote The Beach, 28 Days Later, and Sunshine. He had teamed up with Danny Boyle a few times, and this was his first chance directing. So I knew it was going to be something kind of sci-fi. What a pleasant fucking surprise. Isn't it? But not just not just subject matter. Like, you know, we knew he could write. So like I figured the story would be interesting, but what a sleek, chic, grounded, like debut in the director's seat. Mm. I kinda wanted to open it up staying this up. I listened to a few interviews with him 
after he did Annihilation as well, and he was kind of reflecting on doing this one the first time and the difference between the two. And somebody asked him, why did you start directing? And he made the comment, I became the director to get rid of the director. And I thought that was really cool. And I think we all know what he means. He was like, you know, like you, you, you surround yourself with these people that you trust, that you think are really great, and you let them do their work. I mean, especially you if enable. you're especially if you're a writer and you're constantly having to hand your stuff over to directors and it's something you have to deal with as a writer. They're like a director is occasionally mm-hmm. going to have a different interpretation of something as you. And mm-hmm. there, I'm sure there's fights there. And yeah. so, yeah, that's a valid comment that, yeah, he stepped in to take control of also, his own work, I guess. I think it's really, I, I, we don't talk about the Oscars too much outside of the opening intro, but I think it's important to note that this movie had a $15 million budget and won best visual effects at the Oscars. Yeah, this movie had no business having visual effects that fucking good for 15, like for the budget that it had. $15 million dollar budget. They're amazing. Like usually yeah. the films that are nominated for that are Star Wars or Interstellar was probably nominated for this mm. year like space movies, things that require a lot of programming. Transformers probably was nominated. They all have $200 million budgets. This had a $15 million budget. Yeah. I mean, also, it means basically, that the to, for scale, to clue anyone who hasn't seen it, like we've got the poster up in the middle uh, at the moment, and you can see that in the, in the middle of the Android Ava, there is no stomach. It is It goes clear, and you just see the internal workings of the Android itself. And this thing is like it was done completely without green screen. They didn't shoot a single green screen image. So the whole thing was done using plate images and they rotoed the pieces out manually that needed to be removed and then replaced it with CG that was attached to a rig that was like, oh, it's just the process they went through for this is amazing. And it, it, it's it, phenomenal. It just goes to show you though, doesn't it, that I was watching, I was watching a documentary on the making of The Abyss with the James Cameron movie. Mm-hmm. And whenever you have... You know, whenever anybody is trying to push the limits with special effects, I think this movie versus massive, the the amazing stuff that we see in the Marvel and the Star Wars and stuff, this movie is a perfect example of because they were so pressed, the parameters of their budget was so intense that they could not say whatever. You know, they couldn't just fucking throw money at it. That I, I guarantee you they would not have been able to so, you know, to bring such ingenuity to thinking of how they were going to practically make that happen. And I think I, I guarantee you that's why it ended up being better. If all of that stuff was just green screen CGI, the way they would maybe would have done it if they had had way more space and multiple sets, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have felt as, as grounded. I bet that like forced yeah. them to create that kind of thing. I mean, the, the thing is, like, like they said, it's, it's at least 50% her the whole time. And yeah. her, her <laughs> performance helps sell it. But like She's- all of that... Like it's see-through plastic, so you can see the scenery behind her and stuff. It's yeah. it's just the the work that went into that. I mean, I want to know who the fuck went to college with someone from DNEG to get that for the rate they did. <laughs> um, yeah, somebody hooked it up. Let's talk about this really quickly. Let's let's kind of open it up because this whole premise of this movie, Jeff alluded to, basically, is that Donald Gleason's character is brought to Oscar Isaac's estate to perform a Turing test on mm. Alicia Vikander. So yes. let's just. The Turing test, originally called the imitation game, Valiant Turing, it's a test of the machine's ability to exhibit intelligent behavior equivalent to or indistinguishable from that of a human being. And usually the test is designed so that the humans, as they allude to in the movie, as the human that is in the test, that is performing the test, cannot see the computer. It's usually done somehow through... So it actually actually has has two um, humans and a computer, generally. So essentially, if it was us, 
uh, they would block each of us off from each other and I would type a question and both of you would respond and I would have to guess whether or not Jeff was the robot. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. And basically if they if you if it passes if you mis- if you mistake it for a human uh i think it's 30 percent of the time um then it's classed okay. as passing the test nice so what's so genius about this movie is that like so many great examples of of heightened sci-fi i'll call it like dramatic sci-fi and not not the camp the premise is told to you almost immediately Mm. So you get this exposition in like 20 minutes. And this, he makes him and tell it too. It's like yeah. the CEO is yeah, like, exactly. tell me about this. But yeah. it doesn't so like feel like really exposition. It so it's, it's, written, it's written really well. It doesn't feel like that. And the reason, mm. it, the reason it doesn't remain that is because this movie's glory lives in Alex Garland's ability to thread this needle through human behavior with what's happening with his relationship, uh, the relationship between Domhnall Gleeson and Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleason and Alicia Vikander in such a way that you think you as an audience member are watching a Turing test being performed and that there's just a three-way situation, multiple relationships, and they're battling it out. By the end of this movie, you start to realize that you are taking a Turing test. And it's, it's not mm. as simple as audience surrogate. It's not just that Donald Gleason is our protagonist and you kind of go along on the journey with him. You start to actually question what makes something human or not. What's that last conversation that Oscar well, Isaac I mean, and Don Gleason even... have about the, um, when he says, it's not the sexual conversation about uh, having, it, it, maybe that is the one where he was like, why did you give her sexuality? And he's like, why would a human, why would any kind of uh, being have a reason to talk to another being yeah. if there wasn't some what kind reason, of motivation? What reason would a box have to talk to another box? Yeah, what reason would a box yeah. have to talk to another box? Yeah. I mean, I love the the work they did with Oscar Isaac, where they make him both extremely likable, but menacing and unbalanced at the same time. Like just watching him as a mindfuck, you don't know which way yeah. he's going. And it turns out that like everyone is manipulating everyone else at some point or another during the course of the film. Yeah, and you don't know which way is up. By and the there end, there is of it. there is the cool like what's the real Turing test? Because there's actually multiple... T- there, there are Turing tests going on. I don't know if that's the point of the whole thing, but there's mm. actually multiple Turing tests going on. Um, we, we'll get into the spoilers more so after that. But I, 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 the, I remember the first time seeing the movie, I kind of... I didn't even think about that. Do you know what I mean? Right? The yeah. other... I was like, how did I not fucking... Like, and it, the answer is because I liked the movie so much that I didn't want to think about that kind of stuff. Like, I didn't want to think that the movie was going to get me got. Because if, if I was going to get got, then they then let them do it. Like, I, I was willing to take that on as the audience member. And I imagine a lot of people, too. So when they pull that rug out from under you and you're like, oh, shit, of course. Like, mm. well, how the fuck did I not think about that? Duh. But at the same time, I was like, good for them because they basically said, I'm trust, I'm trusting, I'm likable, so just trust me and, and, and you're going to be good. And so therefore I didn't over question it. Anyway, I'm talking in code now. Um, I think it's we're gonna we're gonna praise all of them and we're gonna praise the story writing a lot in this fucking movie because it's so goddamn good. Uh, I definitely want to talk about the fact first it's a play, right? And and my sister-in-law have talked yeah. about that for sure. But it's three people in an ice well, four people in an isolated area. This could easily be done on stage. Um, and I I love how free-flowing it goes everywhere. I love the the visuals of everything. 
Um, I, it, this is now like the fourth time I've seen this, and I almost want there to be more tech, even though it doesn't need it at all. I know the whole idea of these tech brilliant people just wanting to have normal conversations is talked about a lot, but I kind of want to see Oscar Isaac code a little bit. You know what I mean? Like I kind of want to see the work <laughs> a teeny tiny bit. Um, but um, my my biggest takeaway, as always, is is just Alicia Vikander and just the way that she developed. I had already seen a royal affair by the time I had seen this film, but this is the second time I had seen her. And I, I knew she was doing something that takes this movie to just a whole separate level. Even if Domhnall and, and Isaac nail their scenes, which obviously they did, they're great. It's my favorite Domhnall Gleeson performance that I, I saw him on stage once. That was great. All the movies, he's good, but this is, he's better. There's just something, another element. Oscar Isaac is always devious in some way. So you never, it's never obvious with Oscar Isaac. He doesn't give you that like, Pacino's yelling because he's mad. That means he's awesome. Like, uh, yeah, 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 sure. I'm Keep getting going. the gush. <laughs> but anyway, Alicia Vikander, the way she builds everything, the quirks, the mannerisms, it, it's, she really is the standout for me. That's, that's my speech. Anyway, I'll move on from, from that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you're totally right. Fuck, I think she's, Gosh. We have we have we have already praised her work in a royal affair, but I mean, it, it's almost like it's hard it's hard to articulate. We have seen other actors play robots, for lack of a better word. We've seen really famous people do it. There are really famous characters uh, who have like pulled it off beautifully. And the difference is, you don't think she's a robot, even when she doesn't have her skin on. Yeah, <laughs> like it's so. It's such it's it's in the bullseye because she's obviously got the face. So she's supposed to seem human and she does. And the quirks. But there are these tiny, tiny, tiny little quirks that she brings to it that just changes it to this other thing. And then when you realize that. Again, when as the movie goes along, that the one I was referring to, that final conversation is when Oscar Isaac says the real question is, was she pretending to like you? Yeah, that's That's how we'll know. So that made me immediately think it's, you know, it's just so well placed in the script towards the end that makes you start going back and thinking, how early did she begin the manipulation? Right. Were those corks placed? Honestly, I started thinking like she was doing that on purpose. She wanted to seem a little more robotic at the beginning of the performance. And I don't know if they had a conversation about this. Again, I've heard Alex Garland speak before about how he does not like actors who don't like to stand on their own two feet. He doesn't like directing actors. He doesn't like talking to them. They, not, they might have initial conversations when they're going over the script, but he doesn't really direct on set. It's one reason he said he's so attracted to Oscar Isaac, who's worked with him multiple times, is that you know he's a very uh, independently creative mind. I think that's what he said when he was talking about him. And Alicia obviously has got the same thing going. So performances like these, this is what takes it up a notch from a, a stage production, Jeff. Like um, the story would come across in theater. No doubt about it. The story would come across and we would be having a great fucking time and we would say, oh my God, it's, it's theater, the writer. You know, we would be contra- congratulating them and hopefully the actors would do a good job. But the acting in this is so intimate and the way they cover it, it's so, it's terrifying in some ways, but it's so grounded in realism that I think it takes it to another level that you walk away from this thing just how you said at the beginning, it's not a gotcha, even though it's a gotcha, because it, it's a drama. It's just yeah. a drama. It's a three-person character drama. Four, I guess, technically, counting up. Oh, I, I knew it was coming. <laughs> I didn't know when it would happen. Yeah. Oh, this is no. definitely going to happen. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. We hate this movie. Well, they, they we do something. Nightcrawler 
we're going to talk about later, but I'll spoil the fun a little bit for Nightcrawler. It always lands a little bit under, and, and there's some things that movies, simple, especially small movies like these, where there's only a couple characters that you follow. What is it that takes him to that next level? We talked about Dog Day Afternoon a week or two ago. What is it that catapulted that into the stratosphere from just this little single set piece? Like, what did it? And Ex Machina, there's, I think what it is is, if I were to ask you guys, what is the movie actually about? All of our answers would be a little bit different. And I think that's what mm. does it. If we said, what yeah. is Nightcrawler about? We'd probably stutter. I don't even know how to fucking answer that question. But like this movie, what's it about? Also, is it about the AI I mean, takeover? Right, is it about right. human? Like, I think it's cool. Well, all right. We should I'm pass gonna, on to Dave. We, we haven't let Dave on, talk. Wait, He's wait, just wait, been wait. gushing. Wait, I've said, <laughs> this, I've said this before. I just want to finish this thought. I've said this before when we were talking about Star Wars and a couple other movies. Great sci-fi transcends all of its themes transcend its story. And when sci-fi is pulled off well, it talks about fucking everything. What is this right. movie about? It's about us. Yeah. Like you can definitely. find yourself in every character. Yeah, it's about fucking life. <laughs> like, keep go, Dave. Go off, dude. Dude, I, I mean, like I just from a cinematography standpoint, um, like the second unit filming on this would have been the best fucking camping trip ever. I can tell you because, like, oh, yeah, yeah. like every in time Norway? they cut to an establishing shot, it's yeah, and all I, I, I think I believe all that was shot on film, and then they shot the other stuff, the digital stuff, in the in the house. Um, wow! But uh, cool. they, um, the amount of glass that is yeah. flying around this apart, like this this yeah. house, is a cinematographer's nightmare, mm-hmm. and they nailed it. Like they've got visual effects filming through glass. Like that is the hardest thing in the damn world to do, and that again, kitchen? you know, yeah, it's a t- just a tiny little budget. There's reflections everywhere. It's, I mean, hats off to whoever was watching those like dailies and shit and going, oh no, person there, person there, because let's face it, the Mandalorian can't do it. Oh, oh Dave, shit. shaded Mando. No, it was Game of Thrones. No, Mandalorian. Dave, you're this totally week, right, dude. Crew guy. T-shirt, crew T-shirt guy. Yeah, he's he's oh in the background. God, he was in the, You won't see it now because they took it out. They were, they painted him out. But uh, Reddit actually released a photo of the uh, T-shirt crew guy action figure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful. It was That's a beautiful so thing. David, uh, do you want to touch on the what you said though about the the second unit? Everyone who hasn't seen this movie yet, he's referring to inside this research facility, which is Oscar Isaac's house. It's as high tech and chic and, you know, as you think it could possibly get. And then on the outside, in mm. between basically every section, we cut out, don't we? And we go yeah. to this amazing estate he has, just so and much it, nature. It's like technology, nature. It's like a bunker, nature. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's and then, two worlds that you flip between. And but it's it, high, yeah. it's, it takes it higher than that. There's a Shakespearean theme. My sister actually wrote a, a thesis on it. Uh, man versus nature versus human nature. And I feel like this movie... Just well, that's considering destroyed exactly what this it's argument funny you is mention that because the Tempest was loosely one of the inspirations for this. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, Tempest is yeah, awesome. Right there in the pocket, right? And I think mm. it's something that is so, it's so available. When you think about it, I wonder if Alex Garland said to himself, my God, is this too on the fucking nose? Like talking about existence and talk and showing nature, is it too much? And, uh, and, can, the, qu- and the answer get, is, yeah, go. If you can get three solid actors doing the talking, actors, yeah. And and, and, a, can earn and a crew that pulled off the, what they pulled yes. off, yeah. If you can earn those juxtapositions, hmm. then In, it's one of those things that a, a, a lesser filmmaker may have said it's going to be cheesy. I mean, but when you earn it, it's not fucking cheesy at it? all. For the all last the, last four or five minutes of this film, there's no dialogue. As well, yeah, the climax yeah. of the film has no dialogue. 
it's definitely the movie where if you watch to the end, especially with somebody else, you're going to talk about the ending. And that definitely puts it into the, the great play category. But why does she do what she does? And you could you could say, well, they spoiled it ahead of time. They gave you the they, they planted the seeds. Game of Thrones used to be really good at that since you already mentioned that before season seven and eight. But like they used to plant those seeds. Ahead of time. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> But they planted the seeds in episode two that ended up with coming up in episode nine. He, and they were like, we told you this is coming. He thinks he can sneak these in, but he just can't. <laughs> yeah. But um, they, they – yeah, so you, they, you think – and again, this is what elevates it to that next level because that's not really what it's about. Yeah, yeah, she's manipulating him and we know that. But that doesn't mean she needs to fuck him over and kill him. Hmm. So why, why does she do it? And again, if we all answer that question, we would probably all have a different answer to that question. Why does yeah. she do it? Why does she need to be cruel? Or why does she do that to Dom Nall? And again, we would all probably have theories. But one thing that we do know for sure is we're, we, 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 keep, we can't stop thinking about it. Hmm. Why do you I, why? think she did it? Why do you think I, she did it, Jeff? I, I honestly, I, I have no idea. I, I don't think her motivations were evil. I think her motivations were um, like protective. She was basically it's, protecting herself. She was trying to... She was trying to escape because it's that, that just before that just before that door closes that that one glance of regret back in his direction, and it, it's like is it that's your interpretation? Yeah, I don't know if she was regretting it or yeah. is she just a fucking robot and she's moving on because she's finally going outside? Yeah, might not be regret. Also, you know, I mean, the the safest answer would be he knows too much. You know, mm. so there there would be somebody out in the world that knows something and and also, she wants yeah, to be free. There's also something to be said about when she. First couple of times I saw this, when she finally arrives at her street corner that Jeff is referring to, this thing she had talked about, where would you go if you could go anywhere if you got out? And she says, I would go to a busy pedestrian traffic corner. And that's one of the and best fucking that shots so in the film. Yeah, that's beautiful. Shot. The reverse oh upside God. down. God, it's yeah. fucking It's like perfect. if you go to the cloud gate at, at, at Chicago worth, and the angles that, are all just that one, It's worth watching the whole movie just for that one shot. It that's really that, is incredible. So we talked about it for like 20 minutes on our walk home. Dave and I did. <laughs> yes. if we, if we walked away from it. But the more I see this, the more I realize, because in general, I remember I said this to you after we saw it. I think I said it after I saw it the second time too, that, oh, she's, she's here, man, whether we like it or not. Like what a, what a compelling, thrilling ending that like she got out, like the more obvious surface level stuff. And then the past two or three times I've seen, it, I've seen this movie at least four times now. It's been more that thematically, that fear that every human being has about the unknown of artificial intelligence, which lies somewhere in that space between what we think is consciousness and what we might project onto something that could be conscious. It is scary because it is truly unknown. And now every time I watch that ending and she looks in that reflection in the window and then she disappears into the crowd, it just says so perfectly through the language of cinema that you're never going to get rid of that feeling now. Alex Garland has brought that into existence for you. It's no longer a theory. It already exists. So <laughs> I kind of feel like, and he's so involved. I don't know if anyone watched Devs, his series that came out on Hulu mm, this yeah, year. I did. But he's so into, you know, he's so he has such an interesting relationship with the computer science and artificial intelligence community, intelligence community, that I feel like this is, this is an important film for technology which I don't think we can always say about uh, sci-fi. Black Mirror is usually technologically driven sci-fi, mm -hmm. but some sci-fi is, is more thematically existential. I feel like this one disguised itself as thematically existential, but actually, by the end of it, prepared us for what it's going to be like to have to deal with that. 
because yeah. it is already here. It's already here. We haven't really had to confront it yet, personally. None of us are Domnell Gleeson yet, but it is only a matter of time until we're going to have to start answering those questions in everyday life. And I'm scared, but I also feel like I've had a glimpse into it, and now I can't run from it. So I feel like, I mean, this movie just gives me all of that. Yeah. Double gush. <laughs> all right. We're going, we, there, I feel like there's still stuff left on the table, but I. I say, yeah. say something else. So wait, wait, I, feel like, what, I feel like each of you had one more thing you wanted to say. I feel like you did. Uh, I did. I really did like the fact that with the lighting that was uh, like, because they were in a built-in set, uh, the whole house was built on a set, I, I think at Pinewood. Um, they, he wanted something that was not entirely, like especially the bunker, not entirely natural. So they built lighting as much practical as they could like practicals on set and then they, they built like fifteen thousand tungsten globes into that set to light jesus that christ thing. dude yeah well they always show the shot in the hallway oh, with her as like their promotional stuff so they're obviously very proud of that shot where she finally yeah. sees the faces on the wall but it's like the, you know the room the all the other rooms that aren't the, the really brightly lit corridor like yeah there's like in the in embedded in that set all of those sets is about fifteen thousand tungsten globes mm. God. Yeah, it, was, cool. it was beautiful i, love, the, yeah. the I can't wait till i, I have that much light to play with that's going to be amazing <laughs> and, and and just as many mirrors and windows um yeah. i think the no. only the only thing that i left on the bone that i would love to say is i love that she's not the best model <laughs> he says that she Isaac, oscar Isaac says she's a continuum like iphone 4 yeah. was the best until the iphone 5 came out and then that was the best and she's not the best there's another thing but she's out now so even though she is noticeably flawed She's out. We're going to talk about Noah later. We don't have to get into that kind of story. But like the idea that the first one is not perfect, but she's part of the continuum. I think that hit me pretty good this time. Hmm. Especially when it was being said by an addict. I thought that was really interesting. That's cool too. Yeah. That he had some problem. All right, right, people. Ex Machina. Tell us your thoughts. Find us in the socials in the episode notes. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on chat right now. Find us in the chat right now. Everybody, Everybody watching. But it's time for us to pee and restock our beers before we talk about our next film from 2014, which is Jake Gyllenhaal starring as a night crawler. See you soon, film fans. And we're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back, baby. Hey there, film fans. God we are back. It. We had so much fun talking about Ex Machina, a movie that we fucking hated. Just kidding. We love that movie. But it's okay. We got Nightcrawler here. Things are going to be a little different. Personally, I can speak to that a little bit. But here we go. We got Nightcrawler. This is Nightcrawler starring Jake Gyllenhaal, 2014. Directed and written by Dan Gilroy. Recognize that last name? It's because his brother, Tony Gilroy is also a filmmaker. 2014. I believe this is Dan Gilroy's directing debut. I could be wrong about that. I think, that, I think you're right there. Renee Russo, Bill Paxton, and Riz Ahmed. And also and Robert Lewis... Elswit was the cinematographer who went on to film There Will Be Blood. Well, yeah. Fuck. Wow. That's his, wow. That's his Oscar, right? There Will Be Blood? Man. Okay, so you got um, good shit. When Lewis Bloom, a con man, desperate for work, muscles into the world of L.A. crime journalism, (laughs) he blurs the line between observer and participant to become the star of his own 
story. You know, sometimes I, I read these taglines and I wish... I like Nightcrawler. I'll, I'll spoil the fun a little bit here. I usually just give the setup. I like Nightcrawler. That review that I just read is better than the movie I saw. Get on, no, I no, get no, the gimmick. Yeah. I understand. I understand the gimmick. <laughs> Here's what the movie actually is. Jake Gyllenhaal is a broke thief who, if, you've any, if anybody's ever seen the first season of The Wire, it's very similar where he steals product from construction sites at night when nobody's there. He breaks into construction mm. sites, steals products, and then sells them to developers under market value. So for cheap, he'll, he'll sell fencing, tools, whatever, like equipment. That's, that's so generic that it would never be traced back to him. There's no serial code on a fence. And he's a criminal, but he, he, he doesn't want to be. He's so, he reads self-help books and entrepreneurial books, and then he wants to um, better himself, and he wants to make more money, and he wants to take ownership of his own life. And then one day, he uncovers a dramatic scene, and he sees a film crew show up to film the dramatic scenes. That film crew, he finds out, sells that footage to morning news shows. And he says, wait a second, that's pretty interesting. So if I buy a police scanner and a camcorder, I can film, I can, I can tr- go around at night and try to find violent crime, film it, and sell it to, to, to the morning TV show for money, and that can be my job. And I can make my own schedule, I can be an entrepreneur, I can have my own company. So that's what he does. And then I do think that the movie does progress but it never gets into that ex machina territory. And it never does exactly what this is, which is he becomes the star of his own story. Uh, I don't know if that yeah, really no, works. Okay, me. yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. He, uh, I mean, it, it is, though, he's one of the most, like, this is a polar opposite character of the other films we're dealing with. You are completely yeah. unable to sympathize or relate to him in any way. He is just, I, I'd, I'd call this Joker light. Yeah, that's good. I was th- what was I thinking? Here, keep going. I'll think about it. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they they really don't pull punches on how much the media is responsible for the current level of fear and paranoia in society because they really play up the fact that like she wants she wants crime in the suburbs, she wants crime happening to white people, so white people are scared, so they keep watching right. her network. It's that self feeding media thing that that happens now. Like yeah. it's we've got to keep people watching at all costs, so we'll just show worse and worse things. I'm and I'm they, chatting they really on the top. Play on that. I'm chatty off the top, but I'll pass it along to this. This is part of the premise of the movie. And this is why I think it's an important movie to see, even if it didn't quite land for me. Again, I hate that I keep spoiling the fun right off the bat. But this is a movie for the generation that this is, I should say, I should preface this by saying pre-George Floyd, because I do think that the floodgates really open with the George Floyd video in 2020. But pre-George Floyd, you would watch these viral videos of someone getting their ass beat or someone getting pushed on a platform of a train, and you would inevitably get these conversations following saying why did you keep filming that and not do something to help like i know that we're glad Mm. to see this viral content of someone getting their ass beat but at what point did you think wait a second this footage is more important than me stepping in and doing something now obviously when it comes to police brutality and and racial violence that's a whole different situation because you can't when cops have guns and mace and stuff you can't do anything about that but for like just domestic crime or something it's like why are you filming this and not doing something that is this movie is for that generation and the news not to make it too much about 2020 or 2016 but the fact that and i i'm gonna go ahead and guess that that quote that they said is true as of 2014 for every 30 minute news segment only 22 seconds is devoted to politics economics and international affairs the majority of news is dedicated to crime unless you're watching cnn or fox (laughs) 
Well, yeah, of course. So in obviously, which case, things like a hundred percent is devoted to politics. Things are changed now, but but I yeah. I can't watch the local news. I'm from New York too, so it was always like a stabbing in the Bronx, and I'm like, I'm in New Jersey. Like this doesn't yeah, affect so it's me like, at all. It's like that thing they created, the Citizen app, where that tells and you where the local app, yeah. crimes happening in in your neighborhood. Yeah. Now, like I, I out of curiosity, I installed that in my phone, and it lasted thirty seconds. I got it the fuck off there because like I don't need that level right, of detail same, same, in my same, neighborhood. Same. Fuck so that. anyway, it, it's an important movie. I don't really know what the plot is other than Jake Gyllenhaal goes around trying to film violent crime and you guys can take it from there, all the stuff that happens and what it means and stuff. But I do think that's important. I think that's what it's really about is it's, it's, it's a mirror to us and saying somebody out there is gathering this information that we consume willingly. If I, if I get a a message that says this violent crime happened, I might watch it. I mean, it's definitely, it's a, it's an, it's an accusatory film. Like, you're not meant to feel good after watching this. Like, he is doing something absolutely reprehensible. These are the cockroaches that prey off other people's misfortune and make money off it and they profit off it. And, it, like, the movie gives you, like, weird feelings. Like, okay, I'm along for the ride at the beginning because it's like, where's right. this going? And then we get to the point, like, when he gets to the accident and the, the body's not in the right position to get a good shot, so he drags the body. And I'm like, okay, that's the line. And... <laughs> But basically what the movie's saying to is to you is we're the enable like the enablers. We enable these people by continuing to watch. Right. And it's pointing it's turning the, the camera around and going, You it's your this is your fault. This is your fault. This is happening because you're watching. Everything you guys are saying is a hundred percent true. And I am not going to speak negatively about this film, but we're all dancing around the fact that this is not a great movie. Right. Well, I think, right? No, I mean we're saying it, right? That's what we're saying. Yeah, yeah and I've seen it twice now, and I want to know why. Yeah, I mean, the the thing too. is, is it, not, do, is it not a great I think movie? I found the answer. Is it not a great movie because it's not a great like film, or is it not a great movie because of the way it makes you feel? All right, so I, th- I think I found the answer. <laughs> I think the former for me. Okay, hold on, hold on. Everything you guys just said. How obvious is that message? Of what everything you just said? It, it's fucking. I think it's yeah. It, it's 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 not discovered it's super fucking clear it, the, the horse oh, yeah, is they, dead like 20 minutes into the movie right yeah they they, they so really ram it down this throat. is what i kept yeah. thinking about and the fact i noticed that robert elswood did this one um looks this great. time around i don't think i i don't think it's beautiful it's fucking gorgeous so there are two things i want to ask you guys about because i think my ultimate issue as much as it pains me to say it i'm a huge jake gyllenhaal jake gyllenhaal fan i think he missed it a little bit on this one I don't think he nails it. I think there are a few things that are off. I want to ask you about I, that in a second. I disagree. Jeff. Let me make the bigger point. All right, we'll get into it. The bigger point, the main, the main reason I don't think this movie works as well as it should is basic Arist- uh, um, storytelling, dramatic form. You need these obstacles. So let's take another example of a really intense anti-hero that's unlikable. Let's take Daniel Plainview. Daniel Plainview and everything he's trying to do in There Will Be Blood is relentless, he's unlikable, and yet there is one aspect of his life that gives him a personal emotional obstacle. What is it? His, his family. son. His son. His fucking son, his family. Mm. Jake Gyllenhaal's character has nothing in the way of himself. He has no one that is causing any personal uh, obstacles. So it feels completely... I mean, that's, it, it that's, feels not, that's not him that missed it, though. That's the writing that missed it. Like, there should be right, a scene yeah, yeah, yeah. that I'm establishes not, yeah, this that. This is a separate, separate issue. First, I'm okay. talking about why the movie didn't necessarily work. And I think as a script, 
every time I kept, because it's not good when you start sitting there thinking, when you start hearing the words. I was, I was listening to the script a lot this second time, because I remember the first time I walked out of the theater, Jeff, I think I made a comment to you the first time, you and I saw this one together. Yeah. And I think I said something to you like, ah, I feel like they needed to cut out part of the middle and that climax was actually the climax of the second act and there needed to be something at the end that changed him. I, I remember saying something general like that, which is not mm. respectful of the movie. I'm glad we got to watch it again so I could actually zero in. But as I was sitting there watching it and listening to the words, it became very clear to me. I was like, That's, this is what the problem is. There's nothing in his way personally. He has nothing. When he goes home at the end of the day, there is nothing that he is dealing with. The only thing he's dealing with are exterior obstacles. The cop, the detectives that, uh, that are pursuing him, maybe the apathy or, or lack of of intensity from his partner, who, who's great in this movie. Uh, I can't remember his name. Riz Ahmed. Um, Riz Ahmed is mm. so yeah, Riz Ahmed. He, he really stands he, out for yeah. me in this movie. He's great. He does a really I, I good job. I, I like that. him in this movie. Me too. Um, so I think that's the ultimate problem with this movie. My second issue is, and I'm not going to say this definitively, I wanted to ask you, I just have a, there are moments throughout this movie that make me feel like Jake was was trying something and if i god this is this is not me saying this is the answer but i think if i were directing this movie i would go up to him and just say 80 percent, bro you're there give me 80 percent." classic stanislavski approach you're there i see all of it stop showing it to me i know exactly what you're telling me you do not need to show it i think you can relax and mm. i think it's all going to be fine I think it's. I, I don't know. I, I think in this case, it it's necessary because he starts off as a horrible, horrible character, and he doesn't develop on purpose. They deliberately don't want him to develop, so they keep him that exact. Like when he when he gets to the the accident with involving the other night crawlers, where the the vans hit the tree, and he's filming that as footage. You can see there's no soul in his expression. There's nothing there. This is a dog. I don't to think him. you would have. But, but I'm saying just literally the behavior. I, I, I think he was just, I think there was something exciting and I understand why he went there. It, not to go back to there will be blood, but another perfect example. Everyone knows the story. Everyone who loves that movie and loves Paul Thomas Anderson, Daniel Day-Lewis knows the story of how after a week of shooting, Paul Thomas Anderson, a 30-year-old, finally got the courage to go up to Oscar winner Daniel Day-Lewis and say, I think you need to watch the dailies. There's a problem. And he sat down with him and they watched the dailies and Daniel Day-Lewis said, give me a few days and we'll continue. And he brought it way down a notch. He was going way too far. And so I feel like this is one of those examples where Jake is clearly talented. I fucking love him. I think I hmm. love him in so much. This is one of the only performances that, that I think he just didn't have the right person behind the camera to say, I, I think you can do a little less and it's going to read perfectly. Jeff, do you disagree? Well, what do you think, dude? What are, you, what are your thoughts? I do. Well, we, I talked too far? we talked about this last time too. I... So it's funny that you keep mentioning, we always mention There Will Be Blood on this podcast, and I'm sure Dave's going to throw up someday about how much we talk about There Will Be Blood on this it's podcast. It's a temple. For me, I, 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 I teeter between- you every time you mention the movie. I teeter, <laughs> I teeter between There Will Be Blood Never. and another movie that came out in that year, 2007, which was No Country for Old Men, which had a proper psychopath. So Dan Day Lewis was not a textbook psychopath in There Will Be Blood. He was a textbook narcissist or a malignant narcissist and a lack of empathy narcissist. Um, but he still was emotionally driven just he just didn't have any empathy for other human life which he mm. says out loud in the movie whereas in um no country for old men javier bardem's character was a pure by the book psychopath as good as we've ever seen on film i guess that's not good words for anybody who's been affected by a psychopath jake is neither of those but he's playing at I both think of the these definitive so, words there are on film 
Heinfeld, yes, yeah. Yeah. So so John, to your point about him, um, you're not there's no feeling like he's 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 playing at narcissist or psychopath. He's not either of those. He doesn't successfully uh do either of those. He probably I, I think he should, of him. So I mean, sure, they're all so similar, I <clears> guess, but like <throat> he is too emotionally wound. He's too uptight to be a psychopath. And so sometimes when you see the scenes where he's negotiating, right, which he, he does a lot, or when he's monologuing about his intentions, it's like, I believe in this about myself, which they all roll on for like way too long for me. That one where Rene Russo, who's also fantastic in this film, especially she has a really tough job in this film, if you ask yeah. me. So she, she, he just keeps telling her about himself and she is stuck in the situation where she's like fucked because she's backed herself into a corner and she knows it's her fault. And I think she plays the reaction shots to that stuff really, really well. So to what you're saying, John, should he do less? I don't think the answer is to do less. I think it's to have a secret, to have a thing, and there will be blood. It turns out that his brother, his family from his home is the emotionally driven thing. In this movie, in, in Nightcrawler, I think, I actually did think about there will be blood, but it's not because of Daniel, it's because of Paul, which is Dave's point before when he's talking about the writer, which is Dan Gilroy. I somewhere in there you know what it is for me there's two things number one the end of the movie we just rehash the movie he's at the detective office and we just rehash it there's no new information now jake is the actor needs to realize that and he needs to sit there and he can't just say okay good so all i need to do is make it a clean slate and i'm good because at the end they basically go the, the detective says i think you did i think your intentions were and then her her answer is correct and it's what we already saw so there's no new information it's like the anti ending of unusual suspects <laughs> the unusual suspects is the surprise this is so on the nose it was almost an unnecessary ending so yeah. I also, what, gonna... what the what the director should have done to Jake, for me, it's the mirror punching scene, which everybody always talks about. And I always see it on Instagram when they're like, oh, he actually punched the mirror. And I was like, why? There's no reason because he had a bad day. Like this doesn't check out with his character. So at some point, whether it's the director or Jake, somebody should have gotten together and said, the arc of this character doesn't make sense right now because just throwing a mirror punching scene in there doesn't diminish. If you take that out, he's just is, is playing at a psychopath and there's no levels. So you throw it in and you, and you think everything's good. And that's just not the answer. There, there's something missing in this scene. And they kept trying to do these quick little fixes rather than just see what 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 was the point what was going on what was underneath his surface and it's not just a story about him trying to rise to success there's something else there that they just that they missed they they missed the thing they missed the deepest thing that's what i think i i agree i agree with you and i think that Rene russo's character i think they shortchanged a really good actor that was probably capable of of doing something more interesting than only being motivated by the the bloodlust and the the career it's let's use there will be blood again if daniel didn't we should add that to the speech at the beginning anytime we mention there will be blood it's fair play but you will get buzzed at least we haven't mentioned (laughs) so soon two weeks if daniel didn't have his son and the issues that he was dealing with alone and the brother, the, the whole giant brother sequence in the middle. And it was only Daniel. Um, what's Paul? Paul's character. Daniel. Anyway, Paul Dano's character. Yeah. Um, Eli or. Yeah, Eli. Thank you. If they if he only had him, then it would feel like a device. It would feel like we were being manipulated with something. The, the polar opposite of him that was in his way. Well, the polar op. it's almost like the. Uh, the counterpoint. It's not the polar opposite, the counterpoint. Rene Russo was necessary because she was kind of the gatekeeper. And at the same time, she was 
supposed to enable the humanity inside of Jake Gyllenhaal's character because he actually wanted her for to, for more than just access to that career. The problem was we didn't have any other uh, outlet into his humanity. We never got to see him. I, I don't think that mirror scene is a good outlet of his humanity. I felt like it was divisive. Correct. Exactly. That's I, what, I felt I like mean, it he, was. Yeah, used... he was devoid of humanity from the get go. But he just, wasn't playing a psychopath. Right, so so, so just do it. Play a psychopath. So that's all right. So hold on, wait. That's interesting, isn't it? If you got, if we were sitting around and we were trying to pitch a movie to each other, and we were like, all right, all right, we have this, we have this character. He might be a psychopath, maybe a sociopath. We're, what is our biggest struggle going to be as storytellers? How are we going to show him grapple with his humanity? It can't only be sexually and career driven. We have to have something that is completely internal. And Dan Gilroy wrote a couple of good things. I really like The Fall is one of my favorite movies. Um, this is missing a very important aspect to its protagonist. There is no internal struggle. There's none. Hmm. The only time he struggles with Rene Russo right. is in front of Rene Russo. <laughs> so we don't we don't ever get to see him outside of that mirror scene, which again, I think we've we've handled that. And I think it's not course. a personal struggle. We don't ever that's get a negotiation. To see him dealing with it. You know what I mean? That's, yeah, that's I mean, still I, not I even mean, really. That's I mean, that's we definitely have some performance issues there and stuff, but I, I do like the the message behind the film. Yeah, let's step back. Was, let's pull yeah. back. We'll pull back up of Jake. We got our Jake out um, of us. Yeah, and uh, also, this is another one where they mix media, too. Um, they filmed right, the... Well, uh, what? What do you got, John? Shut up. Keep going. Why are you so shouty, John? John's shouty today. <laughs> he thought I was going to be shouty because I just finished Noah an hour before he filmed this, and here Very he is exciting. screaming at us. Uh, say, your, say your thought. No, no. I, I just I wanted to bring it back to the, the cinematography because my the, the note I made at the beginning was what an opening shot. Yeah, like the opening the montage LA is fantastic, and it, it's it's LA at night. It's this devoid of people. There's there's nothing, and it I felt like that really set the scene. And like this was another one where they they mixed digital and film again. So to all those uh, naysayers uh, who are like, you can't tell the difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you can't tell. Same the difference. deal, second unit film. No, no, they, they uh, the night scenes. Um, it was the night scenes were shot on digital because they needed the lower light and the, the crispness and the day scenes were all shot in 35 mil. Do you know if this Ooh. was Elswit's call? Was that yeah. something he brought to the table? Yeah, he wanted to that's create awesome. two distinctly different worlds. Nice. Wow, that's, uh, that's really cool. Hmm. Um, wait, the, I, the point you made earlier, I want to ask you guys, I want to maybe that they, maybe that this is it, Dave, you made the point earlier about the, the message of the film and the commentary it has on the media. The one... The big thing that I walk away from this, because I, I am frustrated every time I watch this movie, there, as you can tell, like there's something that bothers me about this movie. And I feel like the only big picture compliment I can give to it that it achieves is that I feel as gross after watching this movie and as frustrated as I do when I watch too much news. When I sit down mm. and watch too much crime exploitation, it's cheap. It's, it's on the nose. It's not yeah. interesting. It's just in my face. And I do feel like if Dan Gilroy said that is the point, then he achieved his point. And there also, is nothing also, nuanced about getting, it, getting I mean, the point across. They didn't, they didn't really bring it up, but like the staging of the news happens a lot more than people would like to believe. Like there was a, a famous incident back in Australia a couple of years ago. They have uh, schoolies, which is basically like spring break. But it's the end of like once everyone's finished high school, they go to schoolies on the Gold Coast and they party their ass off and trash the place and uh, yeah, you do told all us sorts about of crazy this. stuff. So, yeah, um, and it's like culturally a, approved. Like for this week, yeah, it just yeah, let they, them go. They, they, they block it off, and that's that's it. You get an armband so you can you know get your alcohol and whatever. But uh, it's um, 
there was one year where a a major news network was busted by another news network paying kids to start fights so they could do a news story about how violent schoolies was. No. And it's Wait, like it's these, these people now are making the news. It's it, they're not they're not like that's what he was doing. He was making the news when he when he made the phone call to bring the cops to the place where he knew these guys were and there was like and shit went down. Like the the narrative there is they they're not you're not reporting the news anymore. They're making the news and yeah. Like the the news now has a narrative. Yeah, I also wanted to I'm make gonna... this sorry Jeff, go ahead. And well, I feel I like gonna, that point came across. I was going to stay on that point too. And again, I think this movie, I was saying it at the beginning and I, my preface was long because I do think this is an important movie. And this happens a lot where there's like one definitive movie about something, right? There's like one Count of Monte Cristo movie. So you hope it's good because they're not going to make another one for a while, right? So it's like, this is the um, filming violence. Like, and then it, it's, is, does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy that we want to watch the violent content or not. And now I think it, it, we've proven since this movie came out in the past six years that we do, we obsess over it, right? Yeah. You hear about, poli- I mean, you hear about police brutality, that, you hear about Breonna Taylor, and that's still that's still polarizing people. But the George Floyd video is unassailable because you see it. It's it's you mm. can't get you can't get that out of your head. I mean, this has been going on for years. There was a website called Rotten something. No, and, I watched uh, I liked it, Rotten it, when yeah, I was younger. Yeah. yeah, and it was it was horrible. Like it had pictures of actual physical injuries and dying. Why do you want to see that? What is wrong with you? Yeah, and just and did also you the- guys, did you did you guys watch like the beheading videos whenever no. they were shown? I, don't I think like, I saw I didn't that even, one. I didn't I've even go to that some... website. Like I, I was now I, I'm out for that. I didn't need to see people dying. I worked at a restaurant once where somebody watched a beheading video back. Then. I I didn't go because they said what they were watching, and I was like, this is fucked up. Um, I, I do know people who, who in school like their teachers said it was out there you know if they want to i don't know it is it is all right so so uh, let's keep going with this very very quickly i think if he even if that was the point for him to to raise that issue and make us have to deal with the fact that we fucking love that shit i i thought it was i'm not if, if the point is to raise the issue and to ask the question then i feel like the only problem with this movie is that it didn't also ask the question is there something wrong with this very right. strongly? The only perspective yeah. we had on that was Rene Russo's, uh, he wasn't her partner, but he worked in the office with her, the guy who was very much against yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he, always, was, really he was the, the voice of reason. Yeah. And he was there. As, it was, as was Riz. Riz was too. But again, that guy yeah. never comes in contact with uh, Jake one-on-one, does he? No. He's always on the outside. Yep. So I feel like the question could have been raised further. It was never brought to our protagonist. So if he is our vehicle, if we're kind of seeing the world through his eyes, I don't think he was ever really intensely challenged like for this thing that he was yeah. so passionate about. I feel like that's a mistake to like if we if we were supposed to see the the, the world through his eyes, that's a mistake in in its in the beginning. Because well, it, yeah, he only uh, sees yeah, the world yeah. in one very very narrow frame. So that's. That's not good okay. storytelling. They could have gone no, American yeah. Psycho and we just go into his world, but we weren't. We always were safe. The audience was always safe. I feel like even though we were seeing violent mm. shit, they were testing us, but they didn't. They didn't go full. It doesn't matter. We we, we don't need to keep up backing Jake. No, 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 I think wait, I think wait, I, oh, I think what they should have done is let Riz have had an even bigger role, and I think he should have been the straight man as the poor, depressed, decrepit L.A. born homeless person who now has a quote-unquote internship for $30 a night. Riz would have been our in. And I think yeah. that even though Riz yes. was amazing in this movie, I don't think they gave us enough because that montage with him and Jake and him figuring it out, and he wants to get better too, but not like a psychopath. He wants to get better so that yeah. he can improve oh his life. Oh my God, Jeff. Yeah. But I Riz, Riz is the one that it should no. have been. 
Yeah. You just nailed it. When Paul Thomas Anderson, you can buzz me if you want, you fuck. When Paul Thomas Anderson was okay. writing The Master. <laughs> when Paul Thomas Anderson was writing The Master for his good buddy Philip Seymour Hoffman. The rules are out the window. He right? realized halfway he realized halfway through writing it that this story isn't about you. It's about Freddie. I don't know who Freddie's gonna be. And then they got Joaquin Phoenix involved. And Fred Phil Seymour Hoffman was like, Yeah, it's not it's not about me. It can't be about me. It has to be about him. He has to witness all of this. Jeff, you're totally right. I think you nailed it right there. If it had all been from his perspective, we would have had all the conflict yeah. we could have ever wanted. It would have been way more interesting. And that was and, so and close. Also, I want to say with the safety comment, you're right. It's too safe. One thing I was technically thinking about this time, I love James Newton Howard. He's a great composer. I love him. His music is not right for this movie. It is too sexy. It is too modern with the electronic sound. I never it, even it, it, noticed it, the music. I think it, I think it covers yeah, a few I, moments that you. would have made it. Come on, you guys. It would have made no, some moments that were covered it. in music. I remember way nothing more about raw. the music. It was completely. It would have made it feel. It would have made it feel way more raw. We're, we're spending it a lot. Of felt like you remember how last week we were talking about how Dog Day didn't have a score. Hmm. There were so many moments where Jake was doing something that was un, un, unthinkable. It was disgusting, and there was this beautiful. He's finding his moment, right. kind of modern electronic Go for it, sound, like American Psycho or not. So, and and to that, to the sexy comment, we're talking way too much about this movie. But I do. It's like so close. So we haven't said yet. With the news is with, with the most important thing about the news to take this movie from 2014 to 2020. If anybody listening still wants to see this movie, it's <laughs> they say it up front. The news story isn't the crime. The crime isn't the story. The crime is urban crime coming into the suburbs. Sound like 2020. And they specifically want to see non-white people causing crimes to white people because their target audience is. And I'm going to misquote this. Their target audience is a screaming white young mom who has been stabbed and is bleeding out. Get her attention. If you can get her to watch the news, that's when you have a good news show. And so they they create this situation where they're just tracking down violent crime creeping into the suburbs, and it, and there's racism involved. So all of that stuff is there. And so the sexiness is kind of about that, the idea of like the hot young mom being mm. scared of like the the angry other. But that's not what the movie's about. Even though that should be a takeaway from it, that shouldn't be the central point. And they couldn't shake that. They couldn't shake it. They didn't trust us as the audience to get that and to to have that in the back of our head the whole movie. They kept going back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it, but that's just not what the movie was about, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. It's still worth watching, though. I know. It, I know. I especially. I mean, it, I just it's worth like watching I just for the experience. You're not. You're not going to feel good after yeah. watching it, but it's worth watching right. it for the experience. To be honest. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's on. It's on Netflix. So and it's on. It Netflix. brings up. Yeah, it's on Netflix, and it's going to bring up the challenges of the issue of news. Like whether you like it or not, whether you like the story or not, you're going to walk away frustrated, mm. and you're going to try to understand why it pissed you off so much and if you and if you're listening worth having that conversation with yourself if you're listening in in new york or massachusetts we're probably about to go into lockdown too so you could do worse fuck yeah all right people yeah. <laughs> next week the first weekend of december we are going to be doing movies from a certain year now we already did the random year generator for fans of the podcast who have listened yes, to us before did. so the year has already been described has already been prescribed dave what is the year that we're going to be doing next year 1991 Bam! 1991. To tease ahead of time, we should have done this at the beginning. 
we are going to be doing some Christmas themed content in the next two weeks of December after this. We have some really fun ideas. So stick around, follow us on the socials. We'll start leaking some things about that. But next week, we're going to be doing three films from the year 1991. We are going to announce which three films they are so that you can watch them with us ahead of time at the end of our next segment. But we need to go ahead and take our final pee break. Anything else you want to say before we head to our commercial? And our no, commercial I'm good. is just Jocelyn playing music. Let's do it, people. We'll see you in a second. <laughs> Trap yourselves in. It's about to get real. We've refilled. All right, people. Like we said, at the end of this segment, we're going to announce the three films from 1991 that we will be discussing on next week's podcast. They are all streamable, if I remember correctly. I hope Dave wrote them down. Um, I wrote them down. (laughs) Okay, good. He's going to announce them them at the end of this segment. But we got to do our redemption segment, people. This is our redemption segment. Or was it really that bad? The answer is yes. We're talking about Noah, people. (laughs) Jesus. Okay, we're off to a slow start. This is 2014. This is Noah. This is Darren Aronofsky, who's an awesome director. Or as we like to call it, Lord of the Rings, the biblical addiction. That's right. I actually... I actually had no idea. Don't you insult idea. Lord of the Rings, Dave. <laughs> Fuck guys, Lord of the Rings. I had no idea Helm's Deep. <laughs> guys, I had no idea Helm's Deep was based off a true story. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so we're talking about oh, no people. Please continue. Please continue. So, Did written you and directed say a true story. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. I, guys, just for the, so everybody on the, that's for you, John. Just so everybody knows, listening to this podcast or all of the several people watching us on Twitch, I reread this section of the Bible because it was two pages long. So it took me all of five minutes. I reread the story. True story. Of Noah. He sent it to us. He actually whipped his Bible out just to yeah. so yeah, really just, talk some good shit about this movie. Guys, I took in, I took in the good word. And, um, I don't know if you knew this, but, um, uh, Everybody in this story was at least a hundred years old. <laughs> I had no idea. Some of them were, also, some of them were 900. Hundreds. Hundreds. Also, yeah, some of them were 900 they, years old. Also, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I know the Bible was written by men and it wasn't actually written by the creator. The Bible's really sexist, man. Eve is the only woman that they sexist mentioned by name. Fuck, it is literally, they mentioned these sons' okay, names wait, wait, 20 wait, wait, times wait, 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 and eventually wait, wait, wait. just mentioned that. Okay, sorry, we can't get into the Bible. We're, we're, okay, no, we're, 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 talking, we're talking about Noah. A fictional movie based on questionable source material. Dave, 5,000 years ago, the Earth was created. All right, so here we go. We got Darren Aronofsky. Shut the fuck up. Shut shut the fuck up. Co-wrote with Ari Handel, (laughs) directed by Darren Aronofsky, starring Russell Crowe as Noah. This is right after Les Mis, pretty much, and it was right before... He said, fuck it, I need a break. <laughs> this movie let yeah, him do a break. It's, it's right after his lame his apology tour. You would, you would think you would think any movie with Russell Crowe, Academy Award winner, Academy Award winner Jennifer Connolly, who's just the apple of everybody's eye, and Academy Award winner Anthony Hopkins, starring future stars Logan Lerman, current but also young star Emma Watson, Douglas Booth is a good actor, Ray Winstone, good actor. You'd think, you'd think this movie <laughs> would have legs. Let's read the description, shall we? 
Noah. Why would you think that? Noah is chosen by God to undertake a momentous mission before an apocalyptic flood cleanses the world. Now, I want to be very clear about one thing. This movie had a $125 million budget. That is something that you cannot get out of your head. Wow. Somebody gave this guy a $125 million budget. It actually made over three hundred million dollars, so it technically broke even. Okay, I want to I want to stop you for a second. Uh, just just quickly, um, it's uh, you know how he got that budget, and this is actually a really clever little thing. Um, he released the graphic novel of the film, and released the graphic novel of the film in this current version, like of what Noah turned out to be. That, that's how we got a hundred million dollars. Yeah, it, it, he made a comic book and released it under the world, and people read the, the Noah comic book. The uh, comic book made a hundred million dollars. Yes. Yeah. No, the comic book didn't, but the comic book gave him a fan base that he could take to a studio and go. This already has a fan base. Pretty clever. Pretty clever. Waste yeah. his goddamn he, time. He, so made his, go. he made his own fucking fan base. <laughs> so. I'm trying to share some so decent I, news with you. you, like, you so just we are a positive. Like, <laughs> we are a positive film criticism podcast. I saw this movie in theaters, and I can't believe we had to see this again. Okay, so this has a 5.7. On a, <laughs> damn it! Yeah. This has a 5.7 on IMDb, so not great. I go over to Rotten Tomatoes. Now, this might be the biggest travesty of all of this whole thing. Rotten Tomatoes. We're talking about Noah, people. We're talking about Noah. We're talking about Noah here. 76% tomato meter. <laughs> this movie has 76%. Now, to be fair, some of those positive reviews include I didn't hate it. Apparently, that's considered a positive review. <laughs> but other people talked about the visual spectacle. And I'm gonna be going, I'm gonna go ahead and be fair. Yes, the visual spectacle. Yeah. There were some great looking images in this story. As far as the movie itself. This movie is 110% certifiable, absolutely a piece of absolute dog shit. Oh, <laughs> shit. Give, oh, hold the buzzer down. Hold the buzzer down, dude. Good God almighty. I've seen this movie before. The, the rock monsters are wow. stupid. The dogs are ugly. The story's a lie. Not, no, no, I'm not talking about the Bible. They... The whole Doesn't thing was to do. Keep buzzing them, dude. Keep buzzing them. You gotta Stop. keep drinking, motherfucker. Stop. They lied. All the boys had wives, and they they take the wives away from them, which really backfires when the arc is is done, and then there's just two twin girls and no males. So you know who's gonna procreate the earth? Uncles and nieces. Like really backfires if you think about well, it. They had wives in the story. Just give them wives. <laughs> Ray yeah. Winstone's character oh, is just an average blacksmith in the movie. We're 10 generations deep, and yet we field an army of 700,000 people. Like, nothing about this movie makes any goddamn sense. Let alone the witchcraft and wizardry that's behind. It's so... Oh, yeah. How did it possibly Jeff, get out the script phase? It's staying there. there I you don't go. understand. It's almost like a... I kept thinking, it's just like a callback to, you know, like the early Hollywood, like these biblical epics were popular at one point. And the I Ten Commandments understand. actually sticks to the Bible. They took so many deviations in this. At some point you say, what are the deviations for? And I, I'm not sitting here as a Bible purist or anything, but it's like, why are you doing this? Why are there rock monsters building the ark? There are, for those of you who hadn't seen this movie and for some reason are still listening to this podcast, there are rock <laughs> monsters building the ark. They are, okay, so there were fallen angels called the, the Watchers. Watchers in Genesis, but, <laughs> but they're not 
why are they building this arc? Why are you doing that? And if you want to do that because it looks cool or whatever, okay. But then all of a sudden you literally have a battle where hundreds of that, like over the arc, why are you doing this? The answer is they are fucking the story of Noah over to make money for it to be awesome like the Lord of the Rings. That's it. They are rat fucking the story of Noah for the sake of profit. And and it and makes <laughs> me which mad. Is already, which is already a bullshit fable. But let That's us see the bullshit fable. Take on Why? that challenge. No, don't show me. How no, do you make Aquaman real? real? How do you make Aquaman real? I don't know. Just fucking show us Aquaman. But you can't sit there and be like, the Noah story is boring. So let's take away the wives. Let's make this guy, this uncle guy important. Let's have some rock monsters. See, I let's just want to believe. Anthony Hopkins is a sorcerer. Like, it's all, come on. I just want to believe that the guy who made Pie, Requiem for a Dream, The Fountain, The Wrestler, and Black Swan back to back had some other story ideas. I don't understand wh- wh- why he did this. Even Mother, that was more recently in 2017, at least it was original. At least at least he was doing something. He upset a lot of people. It's a very controversial movie. And I'm not saying that that was a success, but I mean, this one just not, I don't understand Noah upset why a lot he of people wanted to too. make this. Like the, I know, yeah. but, <laughs> Noah said but that Noah but was a gold miner. He just dug for gold. Also, Noah was an asshole. In the story, the, they literally said, they literally said the reason Noah gets to procreate is because he's the only person on Earth who's good. And so if you as the filmmaker sit there and go, that's kind of boring. Let's make oh, Noah shitty. Immediately, you should say, wait a second. I shouldn't tell the story of Noah. <laughs> if you sit there and, and the yeah, Bible says Noah's yes. good. Noah's good. We're going to procreate the rest of the world with Noah and Noah alone because he's good. And you as the filmmaker go, but what if Noah sucks? And it's like, then tell it that. Tell a different story. This it doesn't make any sense. I also I also didn't appreciate. All right. Sorry, I'm burping. There were a few different aspects, technically, that I really disliked and that I really liked. There are three. I think there are three very quick cut um, where it shows like where the water flows and it shows some time pass. Yeah, it was very He's tree of life. Awesome. Very Malik. Yeah. He do- yeah. Yeah, exactly. There are some really amazing and they're all practical and it shows like actual such cut together really quickly to show the passing of time. There are some few elements like that that are really interesting. But overall, I remember just thinking very consciously, this is the second time I've tried to watch this movie. I remember after Jeff told me his story about falling asleep, I was like, no way it's that bad. I'm going to give it a shot. I sat down and I didn't even make it through. And I never turn movies off. So this is the first time I've seen it all the way through. But I remember thinking this time, one thing that makes this movie unnecessarily worse is that he did not set it in a realistic setting. I understand there were the, the people had taken over everything and he wanted to show like a barren landscape. But there are places on planet Earth where he could have practically shot and not used that fucking color, you know, palette that he was using that was projected onto everything. And it was all fake. None of that was none of that felt real. It didn't even feel like Earth. I think if it was set I in mean, a more realistic tone. The thing is, if you, uh, if you look at the, all the interviews with uh, Matthew Libertyk, who was the cinematographer... A lot of that, all of that was captured in camera. They did very little color. Where were they? Were they on Iceland. like a... I, was, I knew it was Iceland, dude. I was about to say, yeah. I knew it was fucking Iceland. I knew they were fucking in Iceland. Which yeah. is like, 
Give me a fucking break. Go to fucking the areas of old Mesopotamia where there's not a lot of jungle growth. Go show me what it would look like for that area to be barren. Probably not going to get the permit there. were so there. many... I know, but come on. There were so many realistic elements that they chose to heighten... They're, they're probably their words. Heighten by trying to change the way that they were captured. And it didn't... I don't think it did the film any favors. I felt like it stuck me into a fantasy. And if the whole point was for this to bring the story of Noah to life, why would you present it as a fantasy? I, I didn't understand that. It kept pulling me out of it. I never felt grounded in anything. It all felt so fake to me. Not to mention, I cannot believe Jennifer Connelly and every woman alive back then had to think that only men spoke to God. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? She was just sitting around for her husband to hear the word of the Lord? Oh funny. my God, it, it made funny. me want to scream. It just took me people... back to Sunday school, dude. I was going it's, insane. It's funny how many people were like, I, I, in doing the research, which I, Dave and I always have the same notes. So I'm sure he saw this. That people say, Emma Watson's character didn't exist in the Bible. And my answer yeah, is, not. yeah, it did. They said, they're wives. That's where all the women were. And also, <laughs> only one of them had a wife. Awful. Also, in the Bible, Fuck they that, were all dude. 100 years old, and there was definitely a 14-year-old boy in this movie. But we forget about that kind of... Noah was not 600 years old. Just so everybody knows, <laughs> just so everybody knows Noah was not 600 years old. Also, how does, that even, how does that even make old. how does that even make sense? Did they did they know what years were in the 10th generation of humans? And, and they talk about 18 inches. They're already doing... Okay, you can't even get into that kind of stuff. One of my questions was, does the Ark actually float? And these two motherfuckers got mad at me for even asking that question. The ark doesn't float. My roof gets a my roof gets a leak, and we've had five thousand years of evolution to get us to this roof that leaks. And this fucking ark was built with tree trunks and no emolument or anything. And all of a sudden, there's just like whatever. It's, it's the stupidest whatever. story I've ever heard. I remember even as a kid being like bullshit. When they were first heard this, I kind of liked it as a kid. I, I didn't think about how fucked up oh, it was on. that they just murdered all these humans. Every fucking guys, animal, angry no, guys. No Noah story has been told well. The Fantasia 2000, Donald Duck's Noah. Do you remember that with pomp and circumstance? Yes. Anybody? Give me your Fantasia 2000 fans. Even that sucked. It's the worst one in the yeah, whole Fantasia no, 2000. Fantasia 2000. Oh come on, there's some there's the some decent, Fantasia there's some good all ones the way, motherfucker. Things. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. There's some good ones, but even Dave, it's just not a strong story. I don't know. It feels Dave, manipulated. Dave, it's definitely manipulative. Dave, what's your favorite part of this movie? I love this whole movie. Get the fuck Shut out the of here! I thought it was great. I no, thought it was great. Not. Not. Get I mean, out of here! Only, Wait, what are you comedy, doing to us right now? Like the only the only comedy note I had was that poor kid had to sit through the entire fucking baguette section at the beginning. There you go. He says, <laughs> fucking asshole. But fucking no, asshole. and also, why was the villain at the, the beginning giving speeches away from the camera? But like, speaking of the big the whole section, thing. It, no, no, shut up. The whole thing was uh, <laughs> was like I was able to separate because I'm I'm guessing that you guys have some issues here with the the the, the original story um, and the religious notation of it or whatever. I'm actually but okay I, with the I, original story, I, to be honest I came in, I came in with, I was like, I'm watching a film. I'm going to watch this film and see what happens. Russ was amazing. And I'm not just saying that so he doesn't want to fight me. Um, the, uh, I feel like the backgrounds in this film are as interesting to watch as everything else because, like, for the whole first, like, three quarters of the movie, you can see the fucking heavens in the background. Like there's all this, like the background is as interesting as the foreground in this in this film. Like the way it's shot, the stylized version of it, I the story of the angels, 
um, becoming the rock monsters, I really dug. I I thought it was great. I thought it, like there was, and they what? they did show it. <laughs> they showed what happened. They had an explanation behind it. Everything was there Dave in the just story. Told us he voted for Trump because he votes for his own self interest. Like I feel like we just heard that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, dude! Come on. No, I. It's, it's one of the Dave. It's one of those where it's like in development. Everything works. Like Dude, if we no, were in our pre-production a, and we were talking a, about it, it's a like it's a fantastical. It it's a fantastical telling of a story that I feel like is worthy of the source material. Like it, it, it transcends the source material because there's like the whole segment where they go into where he's gonna. I'm gonna tell you a story, and he tells the story of Genesis, but he's telling the story of Genesis as it's quoted in the source material, and but the imagery that you presented with is the scientific explanation of Genesis. Like the Big Bang the only... and man ascending from apes there and stuff few, like that. There are like, a few, that was kind of cool. That moments, was pretty cool. That was pretty there cool. are a few moments where Darren Aronofsky... Okay, all right, yeah, I want to I, I mean, I up. just want to remind everyone, a we're a moments... film podcast, not a Bible podcast. As far as I'm concerned, on like from a film perspective, they nailed this shit. Dave. Dave, this story Buzz. is terrible. Sometimes you actually Buzz. talk about the story. You're, you're talking oh about the imagery. You can't bust me because I disagree with you. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. There are a few moments where Darren Aronofsky uses... It's not science. They don't know what science is, but I know what you mean. They use like more... They think they do. I feel like they got an explanations. And like a, maybe they have a well, printing press and everything. Ac- right applications uh, and explanations for a modern audience to look back and say, that's what it was. Um, I like that Methuselah made him trip to see the that vision of cool. God. The medicine yeah. always tastes I don't know if bad. you guys knew that. It's when the mushrooms kicked in Which, is when he realized he needed to build an at the very beginning of this movie, <laughs> At the very beginning of this movie, when Noah sees the flower bloom, they're wandering around on these planes. He was definitely eating some fucking something. For sure. And he definitely saw that shit. Doesn't matter. My point is that I don't think he leaned into that enough. He tiptoed with it. And then he abandoned it and went full on God fantasy where the Lord and savior creator was speaking to him from the heavens. Like, my God, dude, he literally, he had conversations with God. Like he was like looking into the clouds. Like, yeah, he did. Granted he was, but like, that was, that was necessary in my opinion to the story. Like he had conversations where he wasn't answered. And and you, you bought, you bought the whole thing where man needed to be extinct and Noah was on board with that. Man needs to be extinct again. Are you kidding me? We fucked it up. That's a beautiful theme. <laughs> we fucked what? That's a beautiful you know theme. I mean? Like, you made that comment though about the, did it were it was worthy of the subject matter. I I know what you mean, and I I, I wish I agree with like, you. But have you we, heard we, the back? Have illusions? you heard the backstory of this film as well with what the studio did? They they took it away and they made three independent cuts of this film, and they showed it to Christian audiences. No. To try because Why? they were nervous because no, they were they were nervous about how it would be, would be received. Dave, and you can't say we're not a Bible podcast and get mad at us for talking about the source material. Now here you are talking about the cuts of pre-production and all this stuff. No, this is a legitimate story. Um, no, I know they, it's a real they, story, they, but they, you can't no, like but, the movie because of the way it was released in test no. screenings. Let me finish the, the damn story, yeah, Jeff. Tell the story. Here, tell Jeff, the story. Have a drink while I'm talking. Okay. Basically, they made three cuts of this thing, and test screened it with a, a like a christian audience to see if they would be offended because the studio was nervous and of course every single right. version of it offended them and then they didn't yeah. tell aaron he was gonna they didn't tell him he was gonna do they were gonna do that they did it what? without his permission yes and he found Studios out and he was 
fucking furious. Of course he was. And he was furious. like, yeah, no, of course he was fucking fuck furious. you. The version I make is coming out. And he released it. And I, I'm to be honest, I don't know what the critical reception from that same camp was. I'm pretty sure it wasn't good. Um, but was like, it good? It as far strong. as sticking to your guns, it's like he made the movie he wanted to make. And that is like that is the reason why Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite movies ever. And it's the reason why I'm giving this film a break. It's because he made the story he wanted to make. And right down to simple details like the angels being rock monsters where like they've become infused with the earth and the way they're animated by the effects guys is every single movement looks like it hurts and like simple little attention to detail and stuff like that is the reason why I'm calling this a fucking fantastic film. Fantastic. I I don't know if I would call it fantastic film. film. I feel like the, I think the problem is it's not just the, it's not the only problem, but you did make that comment earlier about worthy of the source material. We've we've alluded to Lord of the Rings, and we've said before when we tackle Lord of the Rings on our franchise face off that that source material is so brilliant that it wasn't director proof or actor proof or anything like that, but it almost is. It, it, it's so strong. So I feel like let's make a compromise. I think the problem with this movie is that every single human on planet Earth is aware of Noah in the flood. So there's too much, maybe there's too much of me that I am bringing to my experience. And I don't know if I make room for his own personal creative influence. I don't know if my own prejudice against the Bible and the Torah and the Old Testament has a problem with it. But there's basically, there's basically nothing that he could show me that is going to make me think it was worth his time to make this movie when he's so brilliant. And that's the thing that it just keeps confusing me. I don't understand why he made this movie. Why did he go from those five movies back to back? And in between there, I think he made One Strange Rock. He produced that really wonderful docuseries I mean, on Planet Earth. Some, sometimes the story this, just pops just out at you. Quite... And it's like, I can, I can make my version of this. I have a clear vision. And I'm going to make that vision no matter what. And okay, that, well I then, mean, that deserves then, respect. Then, and that's what he did. It deserves... That's too, but that's too broad. Why is Noah a fucking it's not vigilante? Broad. It's super, not too broad. He, fucking, he made his own fucking like graphic novel to generate the interest in the film. When Russell Crowe started kicking ass, there wasn't a bit of you that thought, "Wow, this is almost." I don't even care about Christianity, and this is almost offensive. He like they have Noah like kicking not ass bit, and like killing people. I, like he's. I went in this not thinking about Christianity at all. I went in this. How? From the, how did you? How did you not think? How did, you go into the story of Noah. It's, it's like this, 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 this is a story. Okay. For, for starters, I mean, Wait, you, you really? Okay. Like, my closing quote was going to be This is a movie you'll enjoy as long as you're not the kind of person who only allows for your own interpretation of a 1700 year old story. Yeah, I didn't think about the seven. I know I had read it yeah. and everything, but Where'd I had already started date? the movie. <laughs> also, 1700 is way off. Way I mean, off. no, um, it's not. The Bible was written 400 years after fucking year zero. Gilgamesh refers to this <laughs> to this flood, though, doesn't it? The, the Torah was We're getting way off of the Bible. I just referred to the epic of um, Gilgamesh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. The, this, I've we, keep talking, we keep talking about Darren Ar- Aronofsky making the story he wants to make. Dave, even you have to admit, like young Noah, like the rest of the people saw young Noah run behind the rocks, and they did like that. There were there were a lot of liberties taken, and I'm not just talking about as a filmmaker. Oh, absolutely, the there were there a lot, a lot of, of like, a lot of 
There was a lot of he made it a dramatic like he made a dramatic epic. He took liberties with the story. He changed it up for what he wanted to do. And like the, he and the way it was shot. He, they, they saw the kid. They saw the kid. Okay. Run away, he he treated this like a remake. You're right. I'll give you that, dude. No, I'll totally give you that. And I'll also say that if this came out at that period of time where Cecil B. DeMille and a lot of the others were making Ten Commandments and stuff, I think this would have done really well. So I'm very aware that my cynicism got in the way of my viewing experience. So until I had to, you know, I told, I, I said I kind of watched it earlier when Jeff said it was terrible. I kind of just wanted to see, but I didn't really watch it. I probably would not have seen this movie if it had not been for this podcast. I, I don't want to entertain that subject I mean, matter. I don't give a fuck. So that may okay. have gotten Look, in my way. To, and, to, and maybe you had a better to experience. Possibly appease you too. I'm not going to watch it again. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad I watched it this if time. You be- loved it, love it though. No, but also I'm I'm glad I watched it simply because there were there were a few things I learned. Like um I mentioned the cinematographer. He shot this on Ari and Super 35. Two different film stocks. Nice. Like well, film stock and a digital stock. It was again, it was a, a mixed media film it, it looked cool the movie looked cool but like to get around like i in researching this to get around some of the water reflections he fucking shot it at four stops instead of 2.8 or whatever you know you, that sort of thing you, you, it's subjective but he he shot it at four stops lit to eight with polarizers on the lens to get rid of water reflections and wow. that is that is like a subtle thing like he underexposed everything to bring it all down so that it kind of all meshed. The the whole battle scene with the the rock monsters and everyone trying to get in the ark, uh, they shot that night for day. It kind of looked like that. I, I had yeah. a feeling. Not that anyone else would notice that, but I had a like hunch they yeah. shot night for day. They put fucking globes up in the air yeah, and yep. and lit it flat. And they that was the time they used digital. That was the Arri camera. You know that sounds like you well, know how they always this say- movie. Because you know, digital, like, but when you do, use digital, it has a it has like a better response in the in the lower ends. So they needed all the bottom end of the like the lower shadows to be clear for the VFX plates for like all the visual effects to come in. So like it was a case of like this like the cinematographer on this was amazing. You know what this sounds like? You know how they always say the best technical advancements in in audio and visual technology comes from porn. I feel like that's what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Dave, this may be one of the times I'm going to harken back to the time in our franchise face-off when my two co-hosts told me to go fuck myself when I argued for Fast and the Furious over Star Wars. This might be one of those moments. No, no, no one might it? be your yeah. Fast and the Furious do it. I mean, Dave's, I enjoyed the praise it for a second. I'm going to praise creativity. Like, no, I it was a gold digger. Noah literally and dug for gold. Just didn't was, take any of it on the like, arc. It was also the technological stuff that, like, like I'm not looking at the quantum physics notation of it all, where you know, like the the arc floating with that much mass and shit like that. Like, I'm not looking at any of that shit. I'm looking at, I'm looking at like the cinematography quantum. techniques. Kudos, uh, like, I, kudos to you. And the fact that, like, in researching this, I learned some stuff. Yeah, you didn't learn anything about the story though, because nothing you said had anything to do with it the story, look, and the story's dumb. But like all the other stuff you talked about. No, you, I will you, all, say all that, you're saying is um, true, except the story's dumb. But everything else you're saying, I, I am. The acting, the acting is the acting is strong. Jennifer Connelly's accent isn't as. I'm not sure what she was doing. Russell Crowe is really great. She oh, gave sorry. up. Okay. She gave up halfway through the shoot. She went. Mm. 
I'm trying it too hard. It's not like she tried halfway through the shoot. Anyway, <laughs> I love Jennifer Connelly. I love her. I love her. I love her. She's <laughs> bad. Uh, she's great. Russell Crowe was really wonderful. And do you think they even had a second consideration for Methuselah? Or were they were like Anthony Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, yeah, yeah. no, they didn't even consider it's, it's anybody yeah. else, right? We want Anthony, he was we want Anthony Hopkins as Yoda. Yes. I think yes. with Tony, too, I think he it's basically brilliant. like, we're going to film all your stuff in sequence, so one week and you're done. I don't even think with him they make him sit around. I think they say, we're going to have him on sets, so we'll just shoot all of his shit in a row. I think they do that with every project he does now. Can you imagine asking awesome. Hannibal Lecter? The acting was strong, dude. The acting was strong. Yeah, they made Emma Watson it. work it's way too hard the... because of all that shit they made her go through. But yeah, it's good. Yeah, she was upset. I don't. I don't know, Dave. It was, it was good. You to got see close, dude. I, I listen. This I enjoyed is, listening good. to you talk about it. Good. Yeah, because I want to hear people who like this movie come no, at me. Because I, I do know that I have. From my perspective, with it. I enjoyed this movie. Like I, I <sighs> good, again, man. I won't watch it again, but I enjoyed it. I love it. Guys, we can't keep doing this over and over again. We're going to go in circles. It's probably worth watching. Give it a watch. Give it a watch, folks. Let us know what you think. Give us a shout out. Wait, I mean, wait till it hits streaming. Give it Twitch. a watch. Yeah, wait, wait till it hits streaming. All right. Good. From Dave, who loved the movie. Wait till it hits streaming. Quote Dave. Okay, we're way over time. So Dave, introduce our movies for next week and let's move on. Let's do it. We are not over time. We, we're not accounting for breaks, Jeff. We're doing this live I know. Now. Even with breaks, we're still over an hour. All right. 40, next week, we're hitting 1991. Tension. And we are doing JFK. Oh, fuck, we said fuck yes yeah. to JFK. Damn, it's a yeah, three we and said half yes. hour movie. We said yes God to JFK. I, I wanted to start <laughs> the Queen's Gambit this week. Fuck. You did not get in there. You did not say no. That's JFK, you, we're doing JFK. We're doing JFK. Oliver Stone. We're doing JFK because I haven't seen it. It's a so, good movie. Yeah. It's fun. It's, um, fun. it's not fun, but it's We're also doing Boys in the Hood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. John I'm, Singleton's I'm a, Boys I, in I the Hood. I thought I'm excited about that. And we're going to try and redeem Drop Dead Fred. Oh my God, dude! Drop dead, Fred. Drop dead, oh, Fred. Dude, I have never seen that movie. You haven't? Three and a half hours. It's like a half. No, it's like I've a full Queen's it. Gambit. I have to watch for this fucking. Jeff, JFK. I feel like you have already retained all of JFK. I feel like you've watched that movie like four times, and you know all of it, dude. Yeah, very. I'm excited. not worried about you at all. We're just gonna be talking about. Conspiracy. I mean, I've seen yeah, Seinfeld. I feel Come like on, I've seen dude. the important parts. All right, people. 1991. Next week. Anything else? Final words. Film fans. Final words. Noah. <laughs> See you next week.